The We're LCC podcast is a monthly show that comes out on the 9th of every month. But if you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app, you'll never need to remember that because the show will automatically be there. So go ahead and hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app now. We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer Christine Jones. Today, we have Alec Mathewson, a graduate from the class of 1995 and LCC's Fab Lab Coordinator, Design Curriculum Lead, and heading up now the new Center for Discovery. We're so happy to have Alec here to talk about design for the art of learning. Alec, I'm going to welcome you very much today and thank you for joining us on the We Are LCC podcast. I'd love to start by just having you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, and sort of what your journey was to arrive at where you are now. Thanks for having me. My career is sort of, uh, it sounds, I, I even have trouble saying that word career because it feels like it's always shifting. But essentially, I started off in media. Like a lot of people who grew up in, in high school in the 90s, media was like kind of our, our option class that I got really interested in. And I was also interested in design, but I, I went the filmmaking route. I thought I wanted to go into advertising and but there weren't really programs around. So I kind of picked and choose my own kind of schools and said, I'll do a combination between commerce and fine arts. And then I got into filmmaking and I went, I studied film. And then I, I started a company with a good friend of mine. We did some production for a while. And then I started working independently. And then my dad was an entrepreneur and he had a, a, an imports business. And I, I started designing furniture there. And I really fell in love with design. And I started realizing, wait a second, I've always been interested in design. When even when I was in filmmaking, I was really interested in, in the process, you know, and then technology of filmmaking, how that whole mechanism works. And then I got to learn how to, you know, design furniture. I didn't manufacture. It was all fabricated in, in India. And I, I remember going to my dad and be like, you know, we should do this locally. It seems like we could do stuff more locally. And, and of course, him, the, the idea of wrapping your head around how do you switch your whole business model doesn't really work. So I was like, okay, let me go study this. I wanted to go study design. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm still working in film. I'm doing a bunch of different things. And then I go back to school and I, I'm about 27 years old at this point. So I'm a mature student. I realized that I got into an elevator and everyone was going out. And I was like, oh, I'll come. And they kind of looked at me like, you're that old guy in the class. Oh my God. Which is actually scary because when you think about it now, I wish I was 27. <laughs> no kidding, right? Anyways, that was the best move I ever did. But in that process, I was like, you know what, I could use a little part-time work. And I was on a music video shoot and someone was using a camera and it said LCC on it. And I was like, what? And and so the person who was the AV technician, audiovisual technician here at LCC was doing this part-time and had borrowed a camera just to do uh, this project. And I was like, that's nice equipment. I didn't know that like when I left, we didn't have any of that kind of gear. And anyway, long story short, I ended up working part-time here as an audiovisual technician while studying design and interactive media and installation art. And so what happened there is I, I was learning all these really cool things. And I'm like, students aren't learning about this in high school. Like, why is this not trickling down? Anyways, that made me think, well, this is kind of fun. I like going into work. Maybe there's something here. And that started the journey, right? And it's been going on since. And I've been, you know, studying design and learning together and education. And so why do you think, to keep on the point about education, why should design be a part of the curriculum? So first of all, the word design, it's a loaded term and people have trouble sort of, it it can mean so many things to different people, right? So, but I think in terms of education, we're really looking at the design process and it's sort of the same thing that companies will use to develop new ideas, design thinking. And it's really, it's a interdisciplinary field, right? It involves all 
any subject you can fit into design, right? So it, it taps into personal interests in a way that no other subject can. And it asks you to, you know, relate what you're doing. Like you have to do research and you have to do creation at the same time. So you get to be creative. You get to practice creativity, but you're also bringing in ideas from other subjects. And so it's a fantastic way to, to show students, I'm interested in this. How do I apply my math? How do I apply physics? How do I apply my art? How do I apply my humanities? Like it gives a sort of context that I think is not available in any other subject. And I think that's critical right now, to be honest. And it's not part of the Quebec curriculum yet. It, you'll see design in other in Europe more more formally, and and you see it in the IB program. But yeah, so it helps connect the dots between what you're learning in school with experience. And then there are some soft skills that are extremely valuable. Right. It's funny because to the obvious or to the general person, it's not so obvious that design is really part of this process of learning. I I would look just even myself, I'm thinking that design is, you know, drawing something and then turning it into a product. Obviously, it goes well beyond that. So students are learning a lot more than just that in the whole process of taking these courses. So you say design is more than making products and that it's part of the process of learning. So let's say in that process, what can the student learn and what are some of the things that might not be obvious to the general person? Yeah, so I think one of the one of the things when we think of design, we often think about designing products and making more desirable products, you know, viable products. And products is a broad term; it could be a lot of different things. But when we're talking about design and the, the design process and learning, we're actually it's really about creating mindsets for generating ideas and how to turn these ideas into action. And so the soft skills of design are what we're really interested in. Uh, it's not so much about training someone to become a designer. Like we got to stop looking at, we're educating for careers. We don't know what careers are going to be. We have to educate for mindsets that allow people to be more agile and to think on their feet and shift their idea of what their job is going to be and be able to come up with ideas when an opportunity arises in front of them. How do they see that? What are they going to do when they see those opportunities? How do they jump on them? And when they try and they don't work out, how do you get that sort of tacit feeling of being like, I can get through this and I'm going to keep pushing because that's what innovation is, right? We want to breed in this idea that we can change things, come up with new ideas. So that's, that's sort of like the soft skills of design in a very broad way of describing it. But yeah, that's what I'm, I'm particularly interested in. And then when you, you touched on mindset so and innovation, so what would it mean then to have an innovative mindset? Is it something that can be taught? Is it something that is innate? And is that part of when we talk about design thinking, is that all sort of the same thing? Yeah, they all sort of relate. They're, they're kind of these buzzwords, to be honest. But at the end of the day, the idea of innovation is really this idea that we can, it's the mindset anyways, it sort of relates to being resilient and to be able to generate ideas and act on them, right? And understanding and doing enough research to be like, okay, this idea will, you know, it's a risk. I'm going to go with it, but I think it'll work and having that feeling, right? So that is not necessarily innate. Like people, obviously everyone has certain skills that, they're, that they sort of prioritize over others. And I have a lot of students that come in and are like, I'm, I'm not a creative. I'm not a creative person or I'm not technical. I'm not into technology. Or like, they're, I can't do this, and I don't do this, and I've never been able to do. Exactly. They, they come in with barriers because they've been sort of trained to think, okay, well, this is not something I'm comfortable with, right? So it's really about confidence. And so I've been sort of switching the way I describe this with students and talking about, like, imagine your brain is full of flip switches, right? Some people have some switches on, some people have them off, but they're all there. 
So what we're looking at is how do you find those switches and turn them on? And so that could be like, okay, I don't need to be scared of this technology. I got to just try it and then I'll get more comfortable as I do that. So it's how do we build in that confidence to say, okay, it's creative and technical confidence to be like, I can come up with ideas and I can learn this, whatever's in front of me, right? The world is full of constraints and design works with constraints. And so that's how we, that's actually how we structure things here. And so when, when you talk about, let's say the like instilling confidence into the students, I'm sure a lot of stuff comes into play with them with failure and success because, you know, students these days, it's all about, unfortunately, sometimes all about marks and passing and failing. So how do you, do you try to teach that to your students in a different way? Like what's your personal view then on the failure and success and how it relates to confidence in the kids? Not so much about failure and success is personal. So learning is a very personal thing. Right. So we, we all learn differently and we all have different things that, that make it easier for us. And then curriculum tries to, to organize that in a way that works with school. But at the same time, the learning is very personal. So the first thing is it's not is understanding, OK, where's the student at and not expect like some of the best projects were the worst looking projects. You know, it's not about creating this beautiful, refined product that's ready for market. We're not doing that. We're saying, OK, what's your process? But the making part is also very important because in that that's where you have a lot of failures. Like a student will work really long on something. It could be something, you know, trivial for someone that's used to it, but they spend a lot of time working on this and then it doesn't work. And that's where we need to coach. It's exactly like sports and the coaching idea. It's experiential learning. Sports, school, experiential learning. Those work very well. That We understand that. But what we're talking about here is still a bit on the fringe, you know, but it's that, it's that same kind of thing. How do you coach someone through that and be like, okay, that's fine. So we're looking at iteration, the ability to iterate and to try again and to not do the same thing over and over again, but to try it differently, to take big ideas, break them down into little ideas and then test those out and then work towards. And then we look at that process. And so as long as you try and as long as you don't try and skirt the process and you actually do the process, that's how you'll do well as a course in design, right? It's really about the process. And that's hard for students. You know, they're not used to that. They're used to, I got to study this. I take the exam. I get my mark. I get, I get a retake or whatever. So that's one of our biggest challenges is, is training students to be like, it's about the process. And there's a lot of process avoidance that you see. People doing, it's funny actually, and it's something that I'm really interested in, is you see little ways that students try to avoid the process. So the more we do this, the better we're going to get to at training students this way because we're starting to observe behavior and, and see what works. And then in that space, are you kind of able then to work with the students and teach them like how to design their own learning experience through the process? Exactly. Yeah. So that it's understanding that it's a feeling, right? Experience sort of relates to feeling. What is the feeling you got out of And so I use this term that, that uh, this, this someone that I'm pretty influenced by, Seymour Papert, who was a pretty well-known figure in, in education, but more progressive and uh, experiential education. He talked about this term hard fun. And so I talked to students about that. It's, it's hard fun. It's like hiking you know? And so they need to feel what it means to get to the top of the mountain. And as an educator or as a facilitator in a space like what we have here, if you go, if you say, we're going to the top of the mountain, you say, it's a straight line up, they're going to give up on you, right? You're going to have half of them turning around and be like, I, I'm not doing that, right? So you have to figure out a path where you can stop, have lunch, look at a view. Right. And like you said before, they probably don't even say, I'm not doing that. They're saying, I can't do that. And then they deal, then, then we have other challenges, which is like, you know what? At this point, I can't do that, and I got to prioritize my math. I got to do all that, which is true, you know. But then you get into challenges where, like, you're fighting, you know, what they're comfortable with because that's the nature of school. 
And so, you know, as a, as a community at LCC, we're actually looking at that. Like, how do we embed more of these experiences? But also, you know, it has to understand the nature of school, right? The, you know, how does it work within a school context? Well, and now sort of, you know, I guess it, it's a good time to move into talking about the new center for discovery that we now have at LCC that you're basically running. And so what are some of the things that the Center for Discovery is going to help students in their learning? And also, you mentioned working with teachers and and sometimes students will say, well, I need to I need to prioritize my math or my chemistry. So how are you going to work with teachers and make this kind of, you know, work for everybody? The first thing is that you'll know, like, it's not a center for design. It's a center for discovery because we're discovering what we're interested in, our passions, how to learn, how to learn new things, learn about things that are happening in higher education that aren't being taught in curriculum, like learning how to use, uh, how to make your own biomaterials and learning about embedded electronics, artificial intelligence. Those are things we're working towards. So the space, though, is supposed to be inviting. And like I said, like when you're scaffolding a hike, for example, we're we're trying to make it that's easy entry, a lot of tinkering. So tinkering is very important because you can tinker with materials, but you can also tinker with ideas and get them comfortable, just wanting to be in the space. So the space is now, we have three design studios and then we have our fab lab. The three design studios are supposed to be inviting, you know, and a place where you, you the vibe is, is good for learning. And then working with teachers, we, you know, that's the, the real fun and the challenge is like, how do you get teachers also learning about the design process, right? And so I often team teach with teachers that are, are curious about this. We have a design program now through the MYP and that there are more teachers teaching design, but then we have teachers that want to come use the facilities, but they don't really know where to start or what to do. So that's where I come in and I'm like, okay, what are you teaching? Like, what is it that you want out of this? How many classes can you afford for this project? And then we work together and I'm, and I really over time try to help the teachers, you know, understand that they are designers of learning experiences and that this is a design studio for them to generate those experiences with their students. And that's a long haul project. That's not going to happen overnight. That's a cultural shift, but nothing stopping any subject or any topic that you're doing that can't be exercised in design or through making something. It's just a matter of time in the schedule and how it's planned in there. And do you have any examples of projects that you've done over the years that have integrated different disciplines and skills? Are you asking like in, in terms of like a interdisciplinary or, or design? Yeah, like you've, let's say, have you worked with, yeah, inter, yeah, exactly. Is there something that you've done with a math class or another teacher, you know, that you've worked together that have combined two disciplines, for example? So... We have in grade seven, an English teacher, uh, Alex Mazzella, who basically was really keen to come in here. At first, it was we, uh, the whole English department actually came in and we did projects with them where they got to use the, the machines to make elements of a, at the end of, most classes will have some sort of project in it. So this was, you know, they had to interpret a book and make a product out of it. So they came in and they they, they worked on those. But she got into the idea and came in, basically scheduled it into her class. So it came once a, once a cycle into the fab lab and we worked together. And so what we would do then is say, okay, what are some design concepts that match English? And so we did projects where you had to take a story and then we gave them constraints. Okay, so here's an element of the story that you have to research and think about. Now you're going to apply it with these constraints. So it would be usually a material. So you've got a material, you get maybe a theme, and then you get like a, usually three constraints that they have to work within, and then they start making something. So basically, the English is translated into an object to think with. 
So that's one way. Then we have, you know, it could be more, a little more familiar where, you know, our math teacher, uh, Todd Hurdle, would come in and do catapults. So here's where the, the design thinking and the sustainable action, that's another element of this space that's very important. So they would come in and we learned, we taught them how to make 3D connectors. And then they also got constraints. So each student got different kinds of wood. So they couldn't copy each other, right? That happens a lot. And that's, th- that's that process avoidance. It's like, okay, that worked really well for that student. So I do it. Next thing you know, all the projects are the same. So how do you avoid that, right? So they made, they made connectors for catapults that use different kinds of wood. And then they measured it, and this work, the math was sort of to measure the, the trajectory of the, of, of the ball that the catapult launched. But they learned it by making the catapult. And then we also asked them, okay, the, the connectors have to print within 45 minutes and use a certain amount of plastic, because this is plastic you're making, right? So how do you understand that? So there's actual critical thinking involved in it as well. Those are the kinds of ideas that I work with on teachers. Is like, okay, we're not just going to do a catapult. And it must be, I mean, this must be super popular with the students now. I mean, I've heard that the program went from about 60 students to over 300. And I mean, I'm sure that's thanks to you and all the work that you've done. And you think that COVID and the pandemic and just the way that learning was going over the past two years had any, had any effect on that? Or what do, you th- what, what do you think has made the program sort of explode? I think uh, largely it's the MYP. There are very few curriculum frameworks out there that include design as a major, as a core subject area. And, and so the MYP design, every middle school student is now taking design. And that's not, it's no longer an option there. They, they're getting introduced to design. It becomes an option later on in high school. So that is number one reason. That happened over the pandemic. But I think also during the pandemic, what happened with a lot of students, we found a lot of students coming, more students coming in to want to work on personal projects and just to say, okay, I'm done with the screen for a bit. I want to work with, you know, my hands. And we're really hybrid though. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're coding or if you're working with a saw and some wood. It's really, it's, it's a very different kind of atmosphere in the way that we understand making. It's mixing digital with, you know, analog. So Anyway, students sort of recognize this and they, they've been signing up for co-curriculars. So we get a lot of more students there. When you talked about mixing, you know, digital and analog, how do you yourself keep up with all of the latest tools and technology and trends? Because I'm sure this is a very fast-paced, moving discipline. It is. I, I, I have that interest, you know, from a long time. So it's sort of built in that I'm always looking for what's next. But I've dabbled in a lot of different things. I don't know. Like I used to be a music. I, I'm, I'm like I had a band in, in in university, but I was always interested in guitar pedals and guitar gear. And then filmmaking was all about gear, you know, like cameras and and editing equipment and things like that. And so I realized this that everything that I my sports even I play goalie as a hockey player. There's a lot of gear there, you know. I like to windsurf. There's a lot of gear there. These are very you know expensive and gear oriented sports that I seem to be attracted to. So. I'm always looking in those areas for things. And I think that got me into that. And then also, I, I like to make interactive art. And so I'm always looking for novel ways to express something. And yeah, so I'm just part of those communities. But also, I would say, and especially anybody listening that's considering going back to school, do it. When you're an adult and you go back to school, it, it really, it changes the way you appreciate, the way you approach learning, because you now know who you are. It's so true. It's almost like we all should have done our undergrads in our 40s. No kidding, right? I, I think it'd be great to be like, here's a you get one year leave of absence, go discover something else, you know? <laughs> I know. To that point, do you think there's a magic age of when people should start getting creative or just, you know, as time goes on, just explore, explore, explore? Not at all. I think you it's available at any time. But I would say that 
kids are naturally creative, innovative, you know, and then after junior school, things get a little more real and we start to compartmentalize. And that's where that's where we run the risk of losing creativity, especially as you get into high school. So I think from an educational perspective, like maintaining this idea of kindergarten is important. And and there's a group, a very influential group in my work called the Lifelong Kindergarten Group at MIT. And the the whole premise really is like, it's, it's playing with technology and the idea of the art of learning, but it's like, we understand that kids do this best. Why do why does it stop? You know, Sir Ken Robinson, you know, like that TED talk about schools killing creativity. That's where he's coming from. Is like kids got it, but we lose it. You know, and I don't even know if it's them that loses it. Is it the adults and everything that takes it away from them? A bit, because we create our own boundaries, right? We're like, I I am not creative, therefore I don't understand this. Therefore, you should take this class. You know, there's a lot of that that happens. It's like. Don't take design because you should you, you should do physics because it's going to open up more doors. But maybe that student doesn't want to be, you know, working in a lab. Maybe it doesn't matter, you know. Not all engineers are the ones that want to blink light. There's artists that learn to blink lights and make motors turn. We get concerned about viability of job and things like that. But the jobs, but we're not concerned if we stop worrying about the jobs. We start thinking about portfolios and experiences and learning how to ideate and come up with ideas and turn them into action, that will take you really far in the, in the 21st century. And that's where design sits. That's its, that's its area for all interests. So if we start compartmentalizing for our kids, then they are going to attribute some of our traits that maybe we've forgotten that we, we too can be creative and we too can, can learn about technology or, you know, it's never too late to learn how to program. And that's something that, you know, we're hoping to offer more here is to show people like come in any age, a lifelong learning. Yeah, no, it's true. I know earlier you mentioned, I think the name Simar Pappas, but... Peppert. Peppert. <laughs> Got it. Other than that individual, who and what else inspires you? I have, a, I don't know, my head's a little deep into this now because I'm writing a thesis and I'm doing a lot of research. But part of that same group, Brian Silverman, he's a Montrealer who's a, a computer scientist. He's probably been one of the biggest influences on my work because he kind of showed me... We talk a lot about typologies of students and he... He's done work with Lego, Mindstorms, and a lot of different really amazing career stuff. He's part of that lifelong kindergarten group I was mentioning. And he's got a company in Montreal called uh, the Playful Invention Company with Paolo Bonta. He's part of a group right now that just won a, a NASA moonshot project to send a rovers to the moon. And he's programming this rover with Logo. Well, he's, he uses Logo a lot, you know, Logo programming, which is something that we sort of 2000s kind of dropped off. But he showed me that it's not about, you know, what programming language you're using or what technology you're using. It's how you use it. And he introduced me to this idea of constructionism. And there's a lot of interesting things that he's, that he's doing that, that have always, you know, fascinated me. And we've developed a good friendship. So there's a lot there. But maybe you're asking more broadly. But I would say uh, Neri Oxman, a lot of people at MIT that are teaching you how to, you know, work with materials. There's a great book called How to Speak Machine by John Maida, who used to run the, the Rhode Island School of Design. And just this idea that technology isn't about engineering and creativity isn't about art. It's all blended. And we got to start looking at things that way. And the more people that understand how, how, to, how machines work, the better. It doesn't mean you have to become an engineer, right? No, it's so true. We have to kind of break free of the molds that have been put on all of those disciplines. Yeah. So I'm really interested in people who blur the lines between art and technology, science, the subjects, essentially. And more and more anthropology. This guy, Tony Fry, 
He wrote a book called Design Futuring, and he really talks about design as a redirective practice. So the world is complex and we have like a lot of what we call wicked problems. And so where does do designers fit into that scenario of sort of shifting through innovation, shifting us into an area where we're not going to be eating into the Earth's finite resources and that that we're more inclusive in our designs for diversity and different types of people and, and different situations? Can you speak to the concept of a circular economy? Circular economy. So if we think about the way our economy works, and it's this idea of grow, 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 grow. We take resources from one part of the world. We transport them. We turn them into materials. We transport the materials. We turn them into products. The products go back to another to stores. We buy the products, and then we largely end up tossing them out. So that's a linear economy, and this is how we've, the, the world operates. But if you go to a lot of governments, the EU, Canadian government, you'll see this thing called circular economy, which is how do we shift that thinking towards more of a cradle to cradle idea? And there's not, that's another great book, by the way, that we used to show students, Cradle to Cradle. The idea is that we take natural resources and technical resources and we redesign things so that we avoid the landfill, essentially. And it's a complex idea. It requires a lot of like people thinking differently. And it involves all different stakeholders. So from industry to all industries, essentially, how do we connect the dots? How do we sort of connect things? So for example, a car, if you take the car and explode into all its parts, how can we reuse the metal? How can we reuse the, the fabric? Or if it's compostable, how do we design things without using brute force so that we don't put plastics into organic materials? So that's sort of a technical, like very product focus, but it can also be how do we, you know, create services as opposed to ownership? So like, what if you had a, the, the, you'll see this video often of like about circular economy, about buying a washing machine instead of buying the machine and owning it and then having to get it disposed of. What if you bought the machine and there was a service attached to it? So when the machine needs to be replaced, the company has built in this in their, in their system to come back, take the machine, separate the parts that can be reused and dispose it in a more sustainable way. So we're basically creating organic and technical cycles that work. So they're circular. And that's how, the, that's how the planet works. That's how nature works. You know, a tree grows, drops leaves, and it turns into compost. Animals eat things, they die, they turn into, you know, like, so designers are looking at that, mimicking nature. You know, it's not just designers, economics as well. How, how do we get all these ideas so that we're solving some of the problems that we're... Right. For more sustainability. Yeah. So it's sustainability, and then and then we could also look at it from a, an idea of including other people, you know, people in the design process. So if I'm designing a, a learning program, I should include what students have to say about it, right? You can kind of, I, I kind of maybe stretching the idea of circular economy there, but it's it, I think learning is a part of it that's not often discussed. That's like how do we train people to think about that? Well, you know, as we're sort of coming to the end of the conversation, I, I feel. You know, any student parent person who was ever unsure about taking design as a course of study will, will, I'm sure, think otherwise. Is there anything that you'd like to leave us with, maybe a success story that you had working with a student or some final thoughts on design for the art of learning? Without giving names, I had a student who, so the class used to be called Design and Innovation. And I always found, uh, you know, like, and, and I saw this and this student was like, well, I don't, it was stressful. I don't know how to innovate. I'm not going to invent and like, ignore the name. It's not the name. And so the idea was that you come up with an idea and you try to make this. So a product that relates to an interest of yours. And this student was very stressed out about it. But I basically said, well, here's a technique. Just go play, play. And then that unblocked all this anxiety and 
all of a sudden a technique formed and the student was like, oh my God, this is really cool. And it looked cool. And then she took it in her own, own world. And basically, next thing you know, the student's studying industrial design and is really interested in the design process. And whether or not the trajectory ends up being product design doesn't matter. It's just unlocking the idea that I can, it's okay to start without knowing you know, to dabble, to tinker. And then from that, ideas will come as opposed to being sure about what the end result is. So design is really about not knowing the end. And also what you were talking about sort of at the beginning of our conversation about instilling the confidence. I mean, just that story there, I'm sure she had a whole different view of herself as a, as a learner. I, I think so. And I'll just end on the one more. There's an example of a uh, similar, but this is the, these are the, the success stories that I get excited about is students coming in wanting to work with ideas on relating to biomaterials because, you know, they're motivated entrepreneurial and they're like, I want to learn how to avoid plastic. So show them how to make bioplastic. And I gave the challenge of like, here's something that happened to me by accident, try and recreate it. And they came in with a very scientific perspective and they started, they brought in scales and they're trying to measure and they could never recreate it. Then they accidentally came upon something that was way more interesting than what I had done. And then the challenge was, how do we recreate that? And how do we use science to understand what happened there? Because that was an accident. And that, those happy accidents are crucial. And that's where innovation lives. That's where you know, so many of the products we have in the world happen because of accidents. So for me, it's like, okay, you just had an accident about trying to make bioplastics. That can't be bad, right? And now that student understands the difference between a design process and a scientific process and, and can now work the two together. It's so true. I love that. Happy accidents. I'm going to use that in my own life when my kids have accidents and spills in the house. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What can we learn from this? How can we design a better, a better cup here? This has been great. Thank you so much for joining us. I myself learned a lot and it makes me actually want to come in and play with materials and do stuff too. So thank you so much. You are welcome to do that. I hope that we see more adults around here. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. For more, go to wearelcc.ca slash podcast. And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.